This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek coming to you from the new studi- studio in the south side of Ocala, Florida. <laughs> Are you sure you yes. want to start over? <laughs> <laughs> I am Jamie Jennings, and I'm coming to you from Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 16th, episode 189. What? That can't be the right episode number. Anyway, good morning, horse people. It's Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. Well, that's right. We are in the new studio here, Jennifer and I. The move happened on Monday, and I got everything set up so I could do the show yesterday. We got her studio set up, too. Now, it's not pretty. There's boxes everywhere, and it's pretty much a junk heap at this point. But, but we're here. Uh, do I sound okay? You sound great. You're like you're like a horse person who you know. When I moved here, the barn and everything was set up and built way before my boxes in my house were unpacked. You're like, well, I don't need kitchen utensils. I just need a computer. We found the utensils this morning, actually. <laughs> so, so we were looking for those, and we finally found them this morning. So yeah, the uh, studios, the sound in here is really good. It's kind of a dead room, and it's all covered in real wood paneling, so it kind of looks barn, barn-like. But uh, And I put a really nice carpet down, so it's nice. I think it's, uh, it's good. I like it so far. Good job. Now, now next door, uh, you won't be able to hear this probably on this mic, but I hear it. Next door, they have an outdoor cage that's about 10 by 12 and about 10 foot high with the largest parrot I have ever seen. And, Are you serious? Uh, he gets really loud at times. Um, yeah, he can, I was waiting for you to say a uh, panther because it's Florida <laughs> and there'd be weird stuff there. No, the, he's a parrot and he mimics a lot of different things all day long. Uh, so he, I'm going to need number one pictures. Number two, I want to know what kind of parrot it is. I, I'll have to ask the guy. He speaks a little English, so I might be able to figure out what kind of parrot it is. Que tipo pajaro esta? <laughs> But uh, one of the things we noticed, we've been living in a, in a wooden, you know, a wood house, not a concrete block house, and it had a tin roof. So, and you guys know that listens for a long time, if we'd have the downpours like we have in Florida, you could hear it raining. It sounded, almost sounded like popcorn going off in the background. You could hear it on the show. Well, this is a concrete block house with a regular uh, shingle roof. We had thunderstorms last night, and I barely even knew there were thunderstorms. I didn't even know if it was raining. And it was pouring, so I think that's going to be much better for the show, not having the rain in the background. Kind of like that. Well, welcome to your new world. Yeah, my new world. And by the way, for those many of you, especially auditors that have been asking, my arm is about 70% better, uh, and I am feeling better. So let's hope I get a couple of weeks without anything going wrong, knock on wood, and that that's all good. But did you hear the big news in the horse world yesterday? Um... I I don't know. What is it? The Senate on Tuesday passed a measure that would make daylight savings time permanent across Pretty the Pretty sure United that's States. not the horse world. That but is just it's the for world. horse people. What can be better than that? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, this whole Marco Rubio is becoming more attractive to me on a daily basis. This <laughs> well, kind of his and, baby. And I'm like, yes, you'll be a national treasure if you get that passed. It's called the Sunshine Protection Act. And it was pretty much a unanimous passing of the bill in the Senate. Now, the House has to take it up, and Lord knows what will happen over there. And then the president has to sign it. But what it would mean is we would be on the time we are now. So you'd even in the winter have that extra hour of daylight. Now, I don't, I'm not sure if that means it, it's not going to get light till about 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what that means. But, but yeah, so for horse people, that would be wonderful. So, See, yeah. and the thing is, like, if you live in Arizona, I think Arizona— it is I know Arizona's on the other time zone all the time. And so, so they would have and to it, switch? It well, I don't know. That's what I'm curious about because like it makes a lot of sense for Arizona people, the the light and the heat and all that. Um to, because you need to get up earlier and get it all done before it gets too hot. So I don't know. I don't know. 
how it's going to work. I'm interested to see. All I know is, for me, this is fantastic. <laughs> I know. I was excited, too. Let's see if it gets through. This is the this is the really serious stuff they're dealing with with Congress right now because they can't get anything else done. So there you exactly. go. In our Daily Dose Health Report, Dr. B is joining us, Dr. Waldridge. He's going to give us a lesson on core vaccines. I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of the auditors and my Facebook friends posting about getting vaccines. Which ones should I get? Do I need this one? It's that time of year. So uh, we did this recording a couple of years ago, but we're bringing it back because he did a really good job of, of explaining it. So that'll be our health report. I have a Horses and History segment for you on chuck wagons, on the history of chuck wagons. And do you have some weird news for us? Uh, of course I do. I have a cornucopia of <laughs> weird news. That's something and, about uh, dogs, too, you said. And I do. I, the AKC came out with a list of the most popular dog breeds oh. in order and of 2021 Has it changed at all from last year. Yes. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay, good. There is there's one that really surprised me to be in the in the top. All right. Well, we'll find out about that in a minute too, but first our daily winnies. Now you would expect the birthday song to play, but nope, no birthdays. I have no birthdays, which is a rare thing. So I just wanted to thank Lisa for filling in for me. And it was it was very good that she had the opportunity to fill in on Monday because of the whole band thing with April uh, and to get to talk to you about your new horse and everything. If yeah. you missed Monday's show, go back and take a listen. But the when I saw the – I don't know about you, but when I saw that April, a auditor from Texas who is a high school band, right? Uh she does a high school band, shows up in Tennessee Her daughter's in the, yeah. to play at, at Colby's Army for Lisa above Nashville. I That just whole thing, just, it's why we do this. It's why so we've excited. done this in the Horse Radio Network. Our, our saying, you know, our mission statement is uniting the horse world one show at a time. So I just, just made my day. So thank you. Uh, thank you to all of you out there that listen and then also act on uh, all the things we talk about. We really appreciate it. Well, my daily Winnie goes out to the excitement of the new horse and all the auditors that told me having a gray horse was such a fantastic idea. <laughs> you have a little mud out there in Oklahoma this time of year? No, we don't. It's actually quite lovely. The rain, the, the snow melted and everything is dry and everything is awesome. And it was actually warm yesterday. And by being warm, it was like 55 degrees. Oh, you're out there in short sleeves and shorts. I mean, we are celebrating. So <laughs> I'm out there and I bring all the horses up as I typically do. And now he has, his name is Face Card, but we decided his bar name was going to be Ace. So Ace came off the track on Saturday. So he went to a stall with a tiny little run on the back. And then he went from the stall to the tiny run the next day to the arena, which is attached. And then the arena with that tiny little grass paddock is attached. So it's like incrementally been making his uh, world a little bigger, you know, because they, if you just turn a racehorse out in a field with a bunch of horses, it could be a mess. Fun things somebody's, are going to happen. <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to get hurt. And I didn't want to turn him out until I got his racing plates pulled. So the farrier came on Monday, pulled all his plates, and um, so then I turned him out into a grass paddock that looks at everybody in the big field. And then yesterday, I turned him out in the big field for the first time, you know, introducing one horse at a time. And he, I opened the door and I'm like, freedom. Oh, go, please carry on. Farewell. And he trots out. He looks around. He sees my pond and he runs right to the <laughs> pond. Did he do a scooter? He climbs in the pond <laughs> Starts pawing and then <laughs> lays down and has a roll in a, by the way, Oklahoma's dirt is red. So takes a nice red clay bath. You now have a chestnut. <laughs> in the pond and now I have a chestnut. Yeah. I was like, no, because his sister, Juliet, Roulette, Juliet, Julie, we call her, is so dainty and, and sleeps <laughs> only on the like cleanest, most precious area of her paddock. And she does not like to get dirty. She doesn't like to walk in the mud. She's a lady. And then her brother is like... <laughs> Or like your I'm son Lucas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's like kamikaze freedom. 
Did you get a video of this? You can get 12 million views, you know. I'm going to, when I turn them out today, I will be more ready. I wasn't prepared. I was like, I did not expect that. I did not expect him to run right to the pond and have a, have a role. Oh God. What did I do? Anyway, thank you everybody who, you know what? We did have a lot of volunteers here that now know that I have three gray horses between the Andalusian and the two thoroughbreds. And so all of you who were like, yeah, you have fun taking a bath, uh, giving a bath. Um, I will see you in my wash rack today around noon. Thank you very he much. He is really pretty though. He is oh really a pretty gosh. horse. He's so pretty. Yeah. He's really he's cool. so and he's moving so much, you know, like they move so interesting when they have the plates on, because for those who don't know, race plates, they're aluminum shoes, but they have toe grabs that are probably maybe a quarter of an inch to half an inch at, at just the very part of the toe at just the front. So basically when they go to gallop and they reach that front leg forward, it grabs the dirt and helps them pull back. It gives them some purchase. But the problem is with a horse that's like not in a stall or not going straight on the track is if the, the, that toe grab goes into the dirt and they turn right or left, it can twist their ankle down. And, they go <laughs> and cause them problems. Yeah. So you want to get those off as soon as possible. And he had four race plates with toe grabs and my barrier was like, wow, these are relatively new, like not worn at all. Um, so because he did, he was sucked at the track. (laughs) So bad. Oh my God. So bad. So, uh, yeah. And what's funny is when I turned him out, he just kind of walked out and like trotted a second. He's like, okay, so I might have a very lazy baby horse, but who knows? Um, it's, it's too, something else is interesting that I didn't realize until Julie and now him is the jockey club doesn't give papers anymore. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. There's no papers. Um, they don't get tattoos anymore. They really? don't have papers anymore. Yeah. What, how so, do you identify the horse? They have microchips. The jockey club has right. come into the 21st century. Wow. It's pretty impressive. So they have huh. microchips and the papers are now online and they have to be transferred to you have to have an account with the jockey club. I didn't have to pay for it, um, but have an account with the jockey club and then they transfer those papers into your name. So now I have roulette Juliet's papers and face cards papers now in my name. So I am like an official racehorse owner. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yay. Well, two of the slowest racehorses in America. The two worst racehorses <laughs> in America are in my barn. It's and kind I'm of fitting. Actually. Proud. <laughs> I'm proud. <laughs> hey, I'm going to have a report for you, too, uh, a little later in the show. A lot of people have been asking how Nigel and Scooter did because they got moved to their new boarding facility oh, on yeah. Sunday. So I'll give you a report on that. And I do have uh, I do have a story, of course, about Scooter because, you know, he's Scooter. But first, we have some horses in history for you. Once a month, I take a look look at something in history that involves horses, and uh, we chat about it. And I thought, I don't know, I heard a word chuck wagon the other day, and I said, you know, I don't know how the chuck wagon started. Now, that show you're watching, 1886, is 1883. it? 1883. Did I have a chuck wagon in the show? They did for a minute. They did? Oh, well, it's about the time that they would have had chuck wagons. So, uh, and everybody who listens to this show for a long time knows that I have this fascination with chuck wagons for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but like, like most things, you want to be in 1883, <laughs> let me tell you, it did not work out well for a lot of people. No, and it <laughs> looks smelly too. Um, so the chuck wagon was invented out of necessity, like a lot of things. In 1866, a cattleman named Colonel Charles Goodnight, along with his partner, Oliver Loving, prepared to drive a herd of 2,000 longhorns from Texas to Colorado. Now, you know that from Texas to Colorado is a long way, right? It's like a mm-hmm. thousand miles. Mm-hmm. So the problem was, and that particular route, there weren't a lot of towns. So they couldn't stop and get food. And, you know, there were no convenience stores back then. And there just weren't a lot of places to stop. It's a dangerous route. It was rough country. So the the colonel said, I got to do something about this so we can actually feed the cowboys along the way. So he had this idea to rebuild an army surplus wagon. And what he did is he took durable hardwood, he equipped it with cabinets and cubby holes and shelves and drawers to hold food and utensils and a hinged worktop for meal prep so it would fold down and he'd have like this worktop and a large water barrel on he the side. He kind of invented the uh, horse trailers with the living quarters. That's it. That's <laughs> just the first one. Um, so... Cowboys would also show up, and they would have the clothes on their backs and maybe their 
blanket or a bedroll or something like that. But they couldn't, when they were, you know, moving the cattle, they couldn't really carry those along with them. They weren't, it was too much for the horses. So they would also put those, he made a spot on the chuck wagon for all the bedding. So, so there you go. He, he was very inventive. And apparently this first chuck wagon he made, there weren't a lot of changes to the newer ones that were made after it because he had done it so well. So the reason it got to be called a chuck wagon is because the cowboys referred to their meals as chuck. So we're going to, we're going to eat our chuck tonight, which meant we're going to have a meal. It was an English term that referred to good hearty food. So it was basically a British term called chuck, which meant it was just good hearty food. So that's how it became known as the chuck wagon. So it caught on and apparently was copied widely throughout the West. Studebaker, who made uh, wagons back then, was one of the largest makers of wagons in the United States, started manufacturing them and producing chuck wagons, and they sold them for $100, which was a steep price back then. So, by the way, I saw a chuck wagon, a replica chuck wagon that a guy in Pennsylvania had built the last time I was at Martin's carriage auction, and it sold for like $25,000. So that was a new one that he had built, just like the old ones. Oh, because everybody's, you know, needing them these days. Yes, a nostalgia (laughs) thing right now. Um, So they had a nickname for the cooks. They were called Cookies. That's what they called the cooks, Cookies. They always called the cook Cookies in the movies. Is that because of that? They were a cookie. They It wasn't their actual name. No, it was just, that's what they called the cooks, was Cookies. That's right. Why did they call drivers James? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Find that out next. But apparently, I didn't realize this, the only man higher in rank on a cattle drive was the trail boss, and then it was the cookie. The cookie was second in charge, uh, and his responsibilities went way beyond baking biscuits and serving up stew and stuff. He was also the repairman, the entertainer, the counselor, the veterinarian, the doctor, the dentist, the barber, the banker, and he also was the referee in all fights. <laughs> so, so if two of the cowboys got in a fight, he was the referee. Uh, so he really did everything. He was kind Keep of it the, above the belt, boys. Yeah, <laughs> he was the catch-all guy. God, can you imagine having a tooth pulled back then? Ugh. Anyway, um, and as you saw in the movie or in this TV show, 1883, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't pretty back then, and they all smelled a lot. It just it was kind of a stinky thing. So now this is. But if everybody smells, then nobody smells anything. Yeah, I often wondered if that's true or not. <laughs> so. Um, so this is what they carried for food on a thousand mile cattle drive on the chuck wagon. So this is kind of a sample of what they carried. They carried 300 pounds of salt pork, 500 pounds of flour, because they made a lot of biscuits and stuff, 50 pounds of salt, 100 pounds of coffee, and I have, I have a story about that later, 200 pounds of onions, 500 pounds of beans. And that just told me I'm glad they all slept outside, probably far away from each other. Aww. 50 pounds of sourdough starter for the bread, 500 pounds of potatoes, and because you had to have something to cook in all the Dutch ovens to grease the Dutch ovens with, 50 pounds of lard. Oh, God. Hey, so um, wh- what pulled, was it like oxen or horses? It was usually horses? oxen or horses. They would have two or four horses that would pull it, or two oxen could pull pull it where four they would need four horses usually and it depended on how rough the terrain was too because yeah. if you add all the pounds up here that's several thousand pounds of stuff in that wagon yeah well in in the show 1883 they said no oxen only horses and i wondered why that was and one of the auditors let me know it's because of the high temperature of the mm. or the temperature of the time of the year that they were going to go and they either couldn't take the heat or couldn't take the cold i can't remember well, i didn't if I got my geography right, they would have to go through Oklahoma to get to Colorado, right? They did. They In 1883, they went from Texas, and then they were across the Red River, which is the Oklahoma-Texas border, and then I guess through some Oklahoma, and then, yeah, through Col- I think I think they were going to Colorado. I can't remember. I haven't seen the last episode yet, so <laughs> Well, there's it. there's one thing in there that was good for you. It's the last thing on the list was 200 pounds of dried fruit. So they had something that was healthy anyway. I'd be grazing with the horses. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't have done very well with the salt pork and the beef and the steaks. Because you remember, they could get all the steak they wanted on the trip. You remember? So, cause yeah, no, they, they had a cattle drive. Yeah, they was kind of pushing it along. So there's a, here's a recipe for cowboy coffee that I thought was kind of funny. Take two pounds of Arbuckle's coffee. Do they still make Arbuckle's coffee? 
I don't know, Look but those up. are mountains in, in Oklahoma. Take two uh, pounds of Arbuckle's coffee, put enough water to wet it down, boil it for two hours, then throw in a horseshoe. If the horseshoe what? sinks, it ain't ready. So that was... What? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> it wasn't thick enough. That was a quote from one of the cookies from the old days. So there you go. Arbuckle's coffee. I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what it is. It's like real coffee. Well, that just begs a Google. R-B-U-C-K-L-E? Yeah, L-E-S, yep. Arbuckle's Coffee. It's from Ada, Oklahoma. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You'll learn something. There you go. Arbuckle's right. Coffee. Do they well, still make it? Now, uh, what it says here is ArbuckleCraftCoffee.com. And I feel like craft coffee probably was not what they were dr- no. drinking in 1883. No. Not if they were throwing the horseshoe in to think, see if it was thick, and, thick enough for them. Uh, and I do believe, for those paying attention, when you live in Oklahoma, this is what's told you all the time. You know who's from Ada, Oklahoma? Blake Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> Every country singer is from Oklahoma somewhere. And then you drive and it's like Yukon is just west of Oklahoma City. And you're like, there's the water tower that says home of Garth Brooks. <laughs> like, ridiculous. That's funny. There's a water tower in Moore, Oklahoma, home of Tobe Keith. <laughs> it's so weird. Everybody's so weird about country singers here. Um, but anyway, I've got a list, Glenn, of the the AKC came out with a list of the most popular dog breeds in 2021. Can we get so, to it right after we talk about State Line Tech? That's fine. You go ahead. All right. So statelinetech.com, they're going to be, along with Jamie and a few of our listeners, are you guys going to have a meetup there at uh, at Land Rover? I'm Maybe. sure we'll figure that's something a month, out. That's a month away, right? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's, it's a little over a month away. So you guys are going to have a meetup there. Well, also will be there is State Line Tech, set up with probably the biggest booth there. Uh, theirs is even bigger than Bit of Britain's a lot of times. So you're going to find them in the old indoor arena where all of the vendors are set up. They're usually on the top row on the upper left. So go check them out there. But they also right now have on-sale turnouts for the elements, fly sheets, uh, lightweight turnout sheets and things like that. You're going to need those coming up uh, to the spring and summer. And they have, let me see how many pages. They have six pages of turnout sheets listed right there right now. And they also have uh, neck, what do they call those neck things? Neck uh, gators. Gators. Uh, They have neck gators. They have all kinds of fly sheets. There are a lot of different fly sheets in the world now. So you want to head over to State Line Tack right now. Click on the big banner at the top of the page to find all the fly protection stuff. They also have some clothing, breeches and tights, paddock boots, safety helmets. By the way, did you ever get a new helmet with the MIPS technology? Working on We're it. Working on it. Okay. I, I got to try one on first. I can't spend that much money without trying to helmet on. So my plan is Land Rover. Oh, that's a good idea. They'll have a lot of helmets there. So, that, yeah, good idea. Well, thank you to State Line Tech for continuing to sponsor Horses in the Morning. Now let's talk about dogs. We just talked about food and chuck wagons. Now let's talk about dogs. Okay, well, the list is 197 breed long. <laughs> so we're not going to go over let's all of them. Let's do a few. <laughs> but I kind of thought it would be interesting to make you see, if you could guess what some of the most popular dog breeds of 2021, this is like, I guess, dogs that were bred and then registered through the AKC. So most of my dogs would not qualify <laughs> for this list. But these are purebreds. Uh, uh, well, golden retriever is always on the list. Number three, number three. Yeah, they're they're number three. They've been number one for a long time. Well, there's another one that's been number one for a long time, and that is the Labrador Retriever. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so number one and number three. Now, number two surprised me because I feel like this is a. um, Oh, is it one of those weird like designer breeds? Yes, it's Uh, a designer breed, and yes, a something a doodle. Um, No. No. No, because those aren't AKC, those doodle things. Um, the French Bulldog is number two, a Frenchie. That surprises me. I know. They do, have so do, many health problems. We talked do, about this a week or two ago. I know. Do you know how hard it is to breed a Frenchie? First of all, it has to be AI. It has to be artificial insemination. And every puppy born is born via C-section. And and they said they're like five seven thousand dollars each or something. It's crazy yes, money. Yes, it's it's a lot of money. Um, if we're gonna s- just round out the number ten, Dachshunds number ten. Really? Ger- yeah, German short haired pointers was number nine. Rottweilers number eight. Beagles number seven. 
Number six was Bulldogs. Number five, Poodles, which apparently they've been out of the top 10 for quite a while. So uh, Another are, breed that'll cost you $5,000 each if we're talking it, about standard Poodles. Let's just go ahead and say any of these dogs are going to cost you. <laughs> go to the dang pound. Uh, German Shepherd, number four, then Golden Retriever, Frenchie, and Labrador. Now, uh, of note, I would like to point out, uh, let's see, Great Danes, number 17. Do you have any questions about any that you... Greyhound has to be way down the list. Greyhound, I'm scrolling, yeah. I'm scrolling, yeah. I'm sc- Yeah. Great uh, Pyrenees 63, Sharpay 64. Are Greyhounds even like Irish Wolfhounds is 85. God, those are Greyhounds. So they cool. have reg- they do show Greyhounds in the shows. So Okay, well, I must have missed them cuz I'm <laughs> down to 100 and seeing nothing. How about uh Doberman Pinsers because uh our neighbor at the old house had 3. Uh, let's see. Doberman comes in at number 16. By the way, they bark all the freaking time. I have German Shepherds across from me and they bark all the time. Yeah. I think I it's just their a dog. <laughs> so that's, that's what Guess what we have living next door to us. And and by the way, you can, send, the bird. Your, you can send your hate mail to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com because I'm going to piss a few people off. My parents always had miniature schnauzers. The four boys in the family hated the miniature schnauzers because they just barked endlessly. Mm-hmm. And my parents loved those miniature schnauzers. And thank God, the nurse who took care of my mom, the hospice nurse, loved that dog and took the dog so none of us would have to. Because I I could not stand the miniature schnauzers. Guess what lives next door? A uh, barky no. miniature schnauzer. Is that with the parrot? <laughs> with the parrot. And those two go at each other. The schnauzer bark, and then the parrot will go after the schnauzer, and they'll go back and forth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Quite a I would, scene I, over there. Noticing that I feel like the Basset Hound isn't getting its due. It was only number 34. Basset Hound 34. Aren't right they, isn't that a health problem again, too? Basset Hounds. It doesn't matter. They're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> what did they live to, like two or three? <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I've had a 13-year-old best hound. Yeah. Uh, Border Collies was number 31. See, they used to be higher on the list, Border Collies. But I yeah, think but people hard. realize they're difficult. Yeah, you can't have an apartment Border Collie. No, I've had a lot of farm Border Collies, and they're fantastic <laughs> farm dogs. Um, so of the let's... top 10, which one are you surprised at? The most. I was surprised Frenchie made it yeah. all the way up to the top number two because they're so, they're just expensive and they're and they're kind of difficult to. Now, how did they determine most popular? Like the most number of registered dogs? The it says using um. Let's see. I'm, I know, trying I'm to, asking for technical details. I got to go through, but they you know there's so much fluff in all yeah, of this. Yeah. By the way, the bottom of the list. The yeah, what's very last? last dog on the list is called the Norwegian Lundhound. Lundhound. That's a sighthound or something? So it is one of the rarest breeds of dogs, and it is they call it the puffin dog. It scales sheer face cliffs to raid puffin nests <laughs> and brings back the alive birds to their masters. Oh, they don't kill them? They bring them back alive? They go get me a go get mama breakfast. And it climbs walls. Puffins are and, so cute. Oh too. my god, I know, right? <laughs> um so this is I think just the the dogs that have been uh, registered. They just every year. How many who is breeding what and where? Well, there and you go. If you have top not. ten. Uh, congratulations. I, I would really like a Norwegian Lunound. By the way, they're so cute. And the uh, yeah, that'll cost you fifty thousand, and and another <laughs> ten to have it shipped from Nor- Norway. I don't, I don't have any puffins, <laughs> but yeah, with a puffin in its mouth. <laughs> uh, and uh, as I said, if you if you if you're the owner of a miniature schnauzer and are mad at me now, send your hate mail to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com yeah. because she hated them too, so she'll just delete your email. I I mean, I'm kind of the person that like, the problem is with the, those kind of dogs is they require grooming. Yes, and. I can I can barely get my own hair brushed, much less get a dog to a grooming appointment and spend that money. So I don't really do dogs that need grooming, but I will tell you the God's honest truth. If my husband did not live here, do you know how many dogs I would have at this house? You'd be a crazy dog lady. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd have all the dogs. All of the dogs. I look at I look at the the pound there's a free hashtag free free me friday on the oklahoma city like animal shelters oh my god 
And then they post like 60 dogs and like right on the borderline of euthanasia. I'm like, I need to go get all the dogs. God, there's I have one no dog. Husband. We'll, we'll move on. Dogs. But there's one dog that I had that Jennifer hated. And she was there when I got it. So, you know, this is early on in our relationship. We stopped at the pound. And there was this tiny little handful of puppies. And I mean, this thing fit in the palm of my hand. Uh, and we didn't, they didn't even quite know what they were. They had been like abandoned. Uh, and they were tiny. And it turned out to be a pika palm. Oh, right. Pomeranian Pekingese. So uh-huh. he had a flat little face. I called him Shaky Jake. Um, <laughs> Why did you get that dog? Uh, well, because he was so cute, because he was tiny, and he was this little fit in my palm of my hand. The, where, where were you, where you saw this? At the pound. We were at the pound. We just stopped oh. by one day, and I looked at him, and that was Jennifer's mistake, because she took, she said, oh, stop by the pound, and I got the dog. And it was a barky little dog, and uh, loved me, hated everybody else, including Jennifer, <laughs> for the entire 13 years that dog lived. Are you serious? Yep. You've had it 13 years, <laughs> yep. and you hated your wife the whole time. Yep. <laughs> but then she's had a dog or two that I hated too. So uh, we've been even on that one. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Italian right. greyhounds were 73. I can't. They're seem cute, to... but they're barky. I would love an Italian greyhound because they're smaller and they look just like regular greyhounds, but they are barky and they're jumpy. They jump all over everything. Where did you, the, it sounds where, to me like you're a terrible dog trainer. <laughs> where did the, uh, what's the most popular, the little one that every horse person has? Um, Jumps all over everything. Corgi? No, no, no. The other one that every horse person has. Jack Russell. Jack Where Russell? do they fall? Let's see. Um, let's see. Because every Jack horse person Russell. has a Jack Russell or a Corgi. I have a Jack Russell. <laughs> <laughs> but a minute, I have a shorty Jack, they're called, which is like a super tiny. And I didn't buy him. He just showed up at my house and the owners didn't want him back. Because <laughs> <laughs> he jumped all over everything. He is the cutest. Let's see. I'm not seeing Jack Russell anywhere. But they again, there's to... no like search engine for yeah. this. So I'm scrolling through like hundreds. <laughs> they used to be more popular too, I think, than they are now. Corgis were number 11. <clears throat> well, there you go. So they're still up there. All right. Well, let's move on. Our health segment today is brought to you by Daily Dose Quine. Let's switch gears from food and chuck wagons and dogs to the core vaccines that your horses are going to need here very shortly if they don't already. And we have Dr. Waldrich joining us. This comes around with amazing regularity. We have to give our horses their vaccinations. And I don't know about anybody else, but at the beginning of the year is when I think about it because I have to kind of schedule things out and, okay, I'm going to go here or there at a certain time during the year and I need to make need to make sure vaccines happen on the right kind of a schedule. And the ones that we're going to talk about today are called core vaccines. So tell me what a core vaccine and why they're considered core. So core vaccine, the, the way that I describe that to everybody is – those are the vaccines that are recommended for every horse in every situation here in the United States. So the the core, if you think about that, that's their essential vaccine. And that's where vaccination starts. And then from there, you, you branch out to what's an at-risk disease in your, in your area. So with the core vaccines, there's five of them. The first one's tetanus, which everybody knows that one. And then our sleeping sicknesses, and depending on which side of the Mississippi River you're on, we have eastern equine encephalomyelitis here in the eastern part of the United States, and western equine encephalomyelitis on the western states, west of the Mississippi River, which is a mosquito-borne vaccine. And then with West Nile being now pretty much in every state in the continental United States, West Nile, another mosquito-borne vaccine, uh, is in there. So that's that's our, our five, unless I forgot one, tetanus, EEE, and WEE for those Western or Eastern equinocephalomyelitis, West Nile, and rabies. See, I never realized that the Eastern and Western had to do with the geography of the United States. I always thought it was a strain from some exotic country somewhere that got brought in accidentally 15 generations ago, and I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, so California is kind of an exotic location to me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it is. So, uh, and, and there are big differences in um, in the diseases themselves. EEE, the eastern, is almost uniformly fatal, and very few horses have survived, and 
And the horses that have survived it tend to have uh, permanent neurologic issues where the Western form has a lower mortality rate, and so it ten- tends to be milder. So the both uh, in geography and uh, the clinical si- clinical signs are the same, but the survivability of the two diseases is is uh, significantly different. So when somebody says, "Okay," I, they call their vet up and they say, "I need to get core vaccines for my horse," or they go and purchase them to do the vaccines themselves. You frequently see eastern and ceph- eastern and western encephalomyelitis together in the same vaccine, and that and that's okay to do even though you're in Mississippi and you're never going to leave Mississippi or you're in New York State and you're never going to leave, leave New York State. It's just fine to have your horse vaccinated against both. Yes, yes, and it's recommended as part of the core because you know one thing that we we've found in one of the um, other many benefits of global warming is mosquitoes go everywhere and carry things everywhere. You know, West Nile wasn't in this country until what the, the 1990s. And so because of the mosquitoes are, are found in more parts of the country than maybe where they weren't there before and they persist longer, you, you can't uh, be assured that you're not going to have Western crossover or Eastern crossover or, um, so when West Nile came, it's believed that mosquitoes on a ship from somewhere or what brought brought that into the country. Well, that's the, I guess that's the tricky part with uh, as much travel as there is, both human and um, products moving across the country, horses moving across the country, insects that can carry these diseases can get trapped literally anywhere. And before you know it, you've got a disease that has only occurred on one coast across the country on another. So that, that kind of makes sense. So that makes sense. So when you, when the AAEP created guidelines for core vaccines, did, what are some of the things they took into consideration? Is it whether or not a human can get it, whether or not it's fatal to the horse, whether or not it's got an effective vaccine available, how do they make those decisions? Well, the biggest one is what, what would hit, all horses in all situations. So, ah, universal uh, universality. Okay. Yeah. So that's the. I think I tell people it's the building block. This is every vaccine program starts with these cores, core vac, the five core, and then you branch out from there to decide what other vaccines you may need to use, depending on what part of your country, what part of the country you're in, or. Um, you know, if it's a show horse, what the, the risks may be to because they're at increased exposure to other horses. So we're looking at at diseases that any horse under any living conditions could get anywhere in the country because rabies. Hello, you can get that anywhere. Tetanus, that's yeah. in the soil, can get that anywhere. West Nile virus, as you say, has more recently become a core vaccine compared to some of the others because we're seeing it across the country and any horse can get it because it's insects and they go everywhere, as is encephalitis. Very interesting. Now, once you get beyond those core vaccines, you usually have a discussion with your healthcare practitioner about what risk-based vaccines your horse should have. Explain what a risk-based based vaccine means what what criterion are being used so that would be pertaining to your situation of what part of the country you're in if there's um the best example would be botulism we see botulism here in kentucky and in florida that can see it as well so if you're in an area where botulism occurs then adding botulism into your vaccine program would be a and a and add, added risk to the horses. And so it would be worthwhile to vaccinate for that because it's common enough. And when it does occur, it's it's expensive to treat. So if we can avoid the horse contracting botulism, it's sure one I would recommend. Um, other ones would be there's there's a new lepto, leptospirosis vaccine, which is a uh, bacteria that can cause abortion, and and you know that's starting to be used in, here in Kentucky because we do see lepto abortions are one of the most common causes of abortion here. Or if you had um, a horse that say it went to a lot of horse shows and things like that, and you're in a boarding barn, then that's where you think about things like 
uh, added in uh, vaccination for strangles and flu and things like that because uh, those would be communicable diseases and horses that travel and horses are under stress would be more likely to bring those back. So these are diseases that um, qual- your horse might qualify for one or the other depending upon uh, what type of living situation he's got, whether or not it's a barn where he's exposed to lots of horses coming in and out and lots of stress. Right, right. right. And really and, how much um, and, that's something going to come in or they may spread. Or, and then how much traveling is doing where he's going to be the one traveling in and exposing others because we have to look at both sides. He He could bring something in as the one who has been exposed or be exposed to because I think a lot of people – Look at it as, well, I'm I'm going to not vaccinate for X, Y, or Z communicable, and that's a disease a horse can transfer directly from horse to horse and doesn't need anybody in between, because I'm very careful and my horse doesn't travel very much. He's not going to get anything and carry it to anyone. But I think the flip side of that that we often forget about is that um, your horse could pick something up and give it to someone, and he could be exposed to something and bring it home. So it's it's both sides. You don't want your horse to get it from somebody else, but you also don't want your horse to un- unknowingly pick it up, yes, smaller chance, and give it to everybody else in the barn. So when you're looking at your vaccines, some, be, some um, boarding facilities require everyone to be on the same vaccination schedule. Others do your own thing. Does it Does it make more sense from the public health perspective to have a relatively closed population, say a boarding barn where the horses pretty much live there year round and go out to horse shows occasionally and on weekends and come right back. Would it make more sense for those animals all to be on the same schedule? It does for me, because as you say, it, it herd immunity is, is important. And, and the thought, the, the concept of herd immunity is basically all those animals in that group have good immunity against, we'll say flu. And, and so it's less likely that a flu gets in there, that it's less likely that those horses will become sick. And also the other thing you're hoping to be, if horses do get sick, that they're less likely to shed flu virus or they'll shed flu virus in in a lower amount because they've been previously vaccinated. So you're right, it, it both helps to prevent something getting in there and getting started. But if somebody does get sick, you're hoping that what they share with the others will be in lesser amounts. So there we go. And the final ta- the the final question i have for our discussion on core vaccines uh coggins test what is it and why is it important so a coggins test that's named after dr leroy coggins who developed the test against equine infectious anemia and that's a virus and it's a in the same family as the AIDS virus. And what this virus does is it gets into the horse and when a horse is exposed, they'll usually run a fever, become anemic because the virus affects the red cells, also affects red cell production and can cause death. Um, And the platelet count will usually drop as well and their legs will swell. But what that virus does is it'll then, if the horse survives, which most of them do, it inserts itself into their DNA, which is how viruses replicate themselves, and it'll sit there. And it may sit there forever, but at some point, the horse will get stressed or the virus mutates. I think that virus does is it mutates, and when it pops back up and mutates, it's like the horse has never seen that virus before. And so that viral load will build up into the horse and that's where it can be spread to other horses. And it's spread by biting insects and it has to be large biting insects because they have to be able to physically carry enough blood to infect another horse. So the, the, the insects that do that are, are horse flies or um, deer flies, which are in the same family. Or I think everybody knows about if you use a needle from one horse to go to another horse, that blood transfer, things like 
you know, surgical instruments or teeth floats and things like that that aren't disinfected can, can also be potential carriers. So the, the bad thing about EIA virus is there's no cure for it and infection is forever. So any horse that's infected is usually going to be an asymptomatic carrier. The horse shows no, uh, no overt signs, but when that virus mutates or if you get stressed potentially, then that horse can begin to shed the virus and infect other horses. So that's why it's so important. We, we don't have a cure for it. We don't have a vaccine for it. And most horses that have it, you can't tell they have it, but they're always a danger to infect other horses. And, you know, I, I've had that happen to me uh, twice in my career where uh, EIA virus has popped up once in a horse showing clinical signs that were unusual. A horse came in for neurologic disease. But in another case, Folks had bought this pony, were bringing it home, brought it by the clinic to get a Coggins test before they brought it home, and it was an asymptomatic carrier. Oh, wow. That must have been devastating. Oh, it is, because you have to go back. And once that happens, you have to go start going back where the horse came from and sure. trace back to the herd. And then when the, and that's a state veterinarian thing. And when they did that, they found another asymptomatic carrier there at the farm. So it, um, you know, it's it's going to be a quarantine situation, and those horses, you know, they can't be in the population anymore, so they uh, they have to go to a research facility or they have to be put down. Wow. So EIA, which is what a Coggins test tests for, the Coggins test tests to see if your horse is carrying the virus. There is no such thing as a vaccine, so the only way to know if that stuff is around is to get the Coggins test, and you're doing it so that you can take asymptomatic horses out of the general population because they're the ones that are spreading it around. Right, right, because our only control that we have against that virus is to identify infected horses and take them out of the population. That's right. That's the only control we have. Well, there we go. So if you want to learn more about core vaccines, risk-based vaccines, and Coggins test. You can find lots of really good information at the website of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. That's AAEP.org. And they actually have a section just for lay people. So stuff is written in words that we understand. And I will put a link on today's show notes page. And uh, you can follow that and head on over there and learn more about it. And thank you very much, Dr. Brian Waldridge. Where can people follow you on Facebook? They can find me at Dr. B's Bluegrass on Facebook, and um, I always appreciate it when, when uh, you put me on the show and people, I get to see new folks are logging on and uh, starting to like my page, hopefully. So everything's right. on there. All right. I'm here with the mad scientist who developed Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds, Janet Geyer, and I wanted to have a quick chat with you because Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds are non-GMO, whole food nutrition based. And a lot of people go, oh, that comes from a small, dedicated feed mill. I won't be able to get that when I travel. They're wrong, aren't they? They are. You can get it through Chewy anywhere in the United States. Or if you live locally in Maryland and Northern Virginia, you can get it delivered. There you go. Chewy.com. It will deliver it anywhere you want. You can also schedule delivery in advance so you can have it delivered every X number of days, and you can go in there to your account and change it every time you move horse show venues. So check it out today, dailydoseequine.com online or chewy.com. I promised you all an update on Nigel and Scooter. Of course, Scooter's my little hackney pony that I drive, and Nigel's Jennifer's thoroughbred. Well, we have had them at home. Uh, the farm we lived at, we had them right outside our door and have taken care of them for eight years. And now we've moved them to a boarding stable. So we moved them before we moved on Monday, we moved them first. And uh, it, this boarding stable is like 18 horses. And it's kind of unique. It's called Phil's Farm. And they have 10. Is it owned by Phil? Yes. And okay. I haven't met Phil, but Jennifer met Phil and said he's a super nice guy. So Phil's wife's the one I've met, and uh, she kind of runs the place. And it is right along the Florida Greenway, which is thousands of miles of trails. You go out the back of the farm, and you're on the Greenway, which is where Jennifer loves to ride, and I like to drive anyway. You can drive about a quarter mile, about 20 minutes, and you're at the Florida Horse Park, which you can ride around. You're still It's not like the Kentucky Horse Park. You're actually allowed to ride there. 
So that's kind of cool because that's like a 1,200-acre horse park that you're allowed to ride around and drive the carriage around. They actually have carriage trails through the horse park, too. So it's kind of a cool setup. So we get them there, and Nigel, of course, is very confused, and Scooter's like, oh, new place, new things, new horses. And they're in a paddock that is div- divided in half, so and it has a gate in between, So and they run in, run in sheds, so they can be separated or together, which is kind of nice. It was perfect setup. And one of them's a dry lot, and one of them has grass, so it, it's perfect, because Nigel gets grass, and Scooter has to have the dry lot because he looks like he's pregnant. By the way, that comment was made a couple times after we moved him to the new farm. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a campground there. It's 10 camping spots that they only rent to seasonal people that are horse people that bring their horses, and they're all living quarters horse trailers. They're full hookups, all lined up, and they stay for wow. three months. Wow. It's kind of cool. And everybody as friendly as could be. I mean, we arrived with the horses and 10 people come over because they're all just camping there, having a good time in the winter. So um, Jennifer went over. She's gone over, of course, every day to check on them because she is freaking out because she doesn't have them in their backyard anymore. So she'll go over. I'll get to go over tomorrow morning. But apparently the report is Scooter is in heaven because he is a star. (laughs) He's the only pony there and everybody loves Scooter. Oh they God, all, he's so cute. He's How saying hi not? to Scooter. He runs over to the fence to greet him. I think he's probably gotten a few treats. We're going to have to talk about that. But he, Scooter is in heaven, and he is the star. Nobody cares about Nigel. He's just another thoroughbred. But Scooter is in heaven over there. And we knew he would be because he likes adventures. He, he can see a lot, 18 other horses, and a lot of them will leave here shortly because they head north again. But, uh, yeah, he is in heaven. Scooter's loving it. Nigel is still getting his gastroguard to uh, make sure <laughs> he doesn't uh, self-destruct. But, yeah, so it's going well. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. It is one of those days. Uh, I would like to say thanks to these people that submitted weird news stories. Remember, if you're looking at a news story and you're like, oh, wow, that's weird. You should email it to me, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com with weird news in the subject line so I can find it uh, easily. All of these stories were submitted by, let's see. Kristen, which, by the way, she sent me one that was inappropriate and we will not be doing. But I love the fact that you thought of me when you saw that the chicken went up somebody's butt. Um, Kristen, thank you. Elizabeth, Bryce, Victoria, Aaron, Nicole, and Scott. And all these guys sent weird news story. I'm not going to tell you who sent what because it's none of your business where they get in the news. Okay. But I would like to start with this one. And this is um, just weird. It's not it's just weird. Okay, this is from uh, a newspaper in Milwaukee. Ever watched a cooking show? And I'm just going to read the blurb because you're going to ask me questions and I'm not going to have answers. Okay, okay. so I'm just going <laughs> to read the blurb. Ever watched a cooking show in which you could sample the finished product? A yes. professor in Japan has created a prototype TV screen that you can lick to taste a particular <laughs> food. It works by spraying flavors on a film that rolls over the TV. (laughs) While such a product might seem misguided during a global pandemic, uh, the professor, I can't pronounce his name, says the goal is to make it possible for people to have the experience of something like eating in a restaurant on the other side of the world, even while staying at home. I don't think it's the same. I really don't think it's the same. It's it's like a, so it's like it's green that you attach to your screen and then you just walk up and lick your TV. I don't get it. Uh, wouldn't you, you be hungrier, especially if it tasted good? I'm going to pull the screen down and start chewing on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm not buying that one. Oh, it's probably going right. to be $10,000 too. I, I wonder Star Trek thing where you tell the wall what you want and it gives you the plate of food. That's what I want. Yeah, I want someday. Star Trek thing. But with, oh. uh, This is a really cool story, and I wanted everybody to have at least something positive. And this is just like a piece on Earth. Where is the St. Lawrence River, Glenn? Do you know? Isn't it? I'll look it up. Okay, I I think it might not be in the United States. Um, St. Lawrence River has welcomed an unusual group of visitors in recent years: a pod of beluga whales. There's a pod of beluga whales in the St. Lawrence River. The reason I think it's not in the U.S. is there's a Canada. Okay. That makes sense. Following Lake Ontario, blah, blah, blah. 
What's really cool and really unusual is that the pod of beluga whales who are, if you look at them, they just look happy. They're just friendly looking. Well, they're super friendly because they have adopted a lost narwhal. A narwhal is is is, is part of this pod. And um, apparently he just reached maturity. So they're really interested What's to see a whether... A narwhal is those like whales that have the giant unicorn tusk on their nose. Oh, the funny looking ones. They look yeah. like a they look like a sea puffin. They're so cute. <laughs> and they're so cool. That's one that like in the movie Elf where he's like, Yeah, yeah. Bye, buddy. Yeah. Good luck finding your dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a narwhal. Thanks, Mr. Narwhal. Uh yeah, so that's a, it's now swimming around with a pod of uh beluga whales. And beluga whales just seem like the friendliest. So I just thought I would give you just a happy little that's story. A happy news story. It didn't involve a Florida man at all. Oh, just wait. Real quick, uh, just letting you know, you know, have you seen the new Batman movie? No, have you? No, because uh, it's three hours long and yeah. I can't sit. I said, let's the wait till it comes to video because I am not sitting in the theater for three hours. You can pause it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. Go to the bathroom 85 times. <laughs> well, apparently in a, uh, in Austin, Texas, a movie house and eatery reportedly was showing the Batman movie and um, somebody, to be funny, released a bat. <laughs> in the theater. At least that's what the theater is saying. See, I read between the lines. So apparently a bat was flying around during Batman. Okay. They had to shut, they had to pause the movie. They had to call animal control and they had to try to catch the bat. Despite numerous attempts to remove the bat from the theater, workers were unsuccessful. Yeah, because the, my dad always used a broom, but the ceilings were eight foot tall, not right? 50 feet tall. <laughs> How are you going to catch about? You know what? They need Batman. They need Batman. <laughs> the theater offered to re, uh, issue refunds, although many guests apparently decided to stay and watch Batman, I guess, with a bat in the theater. Now, here's where I go. You know what? Maybe it's maybe somebody didn't release it and you're just trying to say, oh, it's weird that there was a bat in here. Somebody must have put that there. I've had bats in my roof. You can't help it. Sometimes they just they go where they want to go. Irony is that it was during the Batman movie. Um, so people did stick around and um, watch well, the movie. To the ambiance. With, exactly. I thought that was pretty cool. And I'm like, whatever. Y'all have bats in your thing. You're just trying to blame it on somebody else because who's going to like buy a bat and bring it in and let it go? Nobody. Nobody. Um, but very funny. Very funny anyway. All right. Next story. We got two more. This one is just weird. <laughs> this is uh, you're in San Diego and you go south because you want to go across the border uh, this guy was going, an American guy, I don't know his name, doesn't say, uh, but he was a 30-year-old U.S. citizen. He was arrested at the border in California trying to get into Mexico, and they found something on him. Do you want to guess what he was trying to smuggle from California to Mexico? So he's going the other way this time. Um, yep. Well, it wasn't drugs because they come the other direction. So I am guessing it has to be like a super large iguana. Not bad, but let's think a little bigger. Let's okay. think of the number 52. Agents found 52 live reptiles tied up in small mesh bags concealed in the man's jacket, his pants, his pocket, <laughs> and... In his groin area. I'm telling you, that's the last thing I'm putting in my groin area. I really am. Nine snakes and 43 horned oh. lizards were seized, <laughs> some of which are considered in dangers. They say smugglers will try every possible way to try to get their product, or in this case, live reptiles across the border. Uh, they, oh man, man, I can't think of anything more uncomfortable than wrapping a snake up in your, you know, junk if you're a dude. As a female, do you want a snake down there? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't want a snake anywhere near me anyway. And I know a lot of listeners like snakes, and that's fine. But you know what? Jennifer Damn at horseradionetwork.com. <laughs> Send your complaints. Yeah. All right. Final one. I don't even need to tell you. Florida man. Oh, here we're going. <laughs> Florida I man. I knew you were saving it for last. That's right. This is KTVU TV. Uh had this story and where's Spring Hill, Florida? 
Okay. I'll look it up. All right. Spring Hill, Florida. This man made a purchase of methamphetamines. (laughs) So this man goes to uh, a bar and he had an area bar in Spring Hill, Florida, and he purchases some meth. That's drugs. And he gets home and he attempts, tries the meth, uh, and just doesn't think that it's really meth. He's like, this is bath salt. This is a meth. So what does he do, Glenn? What would you do if you bought some, something that you didn't, wasn't what you thought If you're in Florida, you call the police and report it. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) A Spring Hill man bought methamphetamines from a man he met at an area bar because he called 911 because he believed it was bath salts. (laughs) Of course he did. Deputies say, um, his name is, his his name is Thomas Eugene Colucci. Deputies say Colucci told them, look, I'm going to do it the way he did it. (laughs) This is, this is almost a quote, not quite. Y'all listen, I'm an experienced drug user (laughs) and I'm used to methamphetamines and I know what they should feel like. (laughs) And you know what? It did not produce the expected sensation that I was expecting. And so that's why I'm calling you the police. Police come. Officers, right here is the two bags of meth that I bought. And I'm telling you what, it's bath salt. They ain't, they ain't no methamphetamines. I tried it. I didn't get no buzz. Okay. <laughs> and I'm an experienced drug user. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I want um, this man arrested. Ask me some follow-up questions, says the police. Can you come oh, up with oh, any? Um, and how much did you pay? You know what? It's not important what I paid. It's uh, important that this is fake. And I want... The guy I bought it from arrested. And, and uh, what's his name and where do we find him? You know what? I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> he was unable to provide a name or any contact information. Because he was high at the time. <laughs> he did not know who he bought it from. Uh, so <laughs> they're like, sir, you're under arrest. <laughs> but before they do, they get a side note. The deputy, as requested, performed a field test on a sample of the crystal-like substance from each of the baggies. Both baggies tested positive for being methamphetamines. (laughs) Which just saw good quality, apparently. Deputies then arrested Kaluji, who has been having a conversation with them, saying, test my meth, it's not good. Like, this is literally going on. They put him in the car, and he's like, oh! I can't be arrested right now. I'm having chest pains. <laughs> I'm having chest pains. Take me to the hospital. <laughs> so they take him to the hospital. And guess what? He's cleared. And he's now mm. in the Hernando I County. I think I was in the ER when that guy showed up, to be honest, uh, last week. I think week. you were. <laughs> so just a recap. Just a recap. Dude buys drugs from a guy in the alley of a bar. Takes the drugs home, tries the drugs, thinks they look like, I th- he thinks he bought fake drugs. So he calls the police to then have the drugs tested and have this man arrested for selling fake, fake drugs. While he's standing there, he hands the officers the drugs in question. They test it, realize it is meth, arrest him, put him in the car where he then starts claiming he's having a heart attack. <laughs> Drugs are bad, people. Drugs are, bad. are really bad. It's such a good story, though. <laughs> drugs are bad. Really, really bad. Don't take drugs. That's the moral. How close is Spring Hill, Florida to you? Oh, it's only about uh, 40 minutes, actually. It's, oh! it's right near Wikiwachi, which they still have mermaids at Wikiwachi, by the way, along the Gulf Coast. So you can still go see mermaids there. It was probably the bar at the mermaid place. I'm super excited for you that that guy might have actually been at the hospital <laughs> when you were. There was some weird stuff going on when I was at the hospital. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I typed in Spring Hill, Florida, and you know how Google comes up with all these questions? Yes. And the first thing is, is Spring Hill, Florida a good area? And Google's answer is, Spring Hill is a safe place to live. It's affordable, has job opportunities, and is a diverse community. It's basically a retirement town. Um didn't say how old this guy was, did it? 
they do math there. What is Spring Hill, Florida known for? Spring Hill is home to the world famous underwater mermaid. That's show what I said. Wiki <laughs> Spring right. State Park. That's a real thing. It is a real thing. Now, I haven't been there since we moved back to Florida, but as of kids, we were there. My parents took us on our trip to Florida. We stopped and saw the mermaids at Wiki Are you serious? He might. Great aunt. What's the other park? Silver Spring, and it's here in that, Ocala. Yeah, Everybody there, goes there. Well, there's another, like a big park that was like a Disney sized type park that had mermaids underwater as well. Oh, My great aunt was one of those. Oh, oh. wow. She's Can you still hold your breath for that long underwater? Apparently, they, they had ways around it. I don't know. <laughs> but apparently, she could hold her breath a long time. Uh, I, uh, from what I read, they have to be able to hold the breath for like three to four minutes. I don't know oh, how you do that. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. What is the name of that park? Park Florida. I'm going to Google it. Florida. This is probably really boring to everybody. Sorry. Yeah, that... well, it's the end of the show. So they've all left anyway. Okay, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, auditors, hold on. Jamie and I haven't talked to each other in a while, so we need to catch up. So we'll do a post show. All right. Sounds good. <clears throat> All right. That's it for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. Get your ads. Jennifer needs some ads. So get your ads into Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com for really bad ads on Friday. We have a new batch of prizes. They were sent over by horse lovers. So we'll have those for you on Friday. Uh, and we'll have a whole month worth of uh being able to enter your really bad ads to win the new prizes. Remember, if you submit them yourself in the form of a voice file or call our voicemail line on the website and record them yourselves, you get double the entries. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all on Friday. I need some advice in the post. Okay. Well, it's